Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast for Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, and I am your host, and this is episode 12. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is brain science. Now, let me tell you, as yoga teachers, and I know you're listening out there, it's imperative that we understand more about the brain than just a passing few bits of information here and there, because we're in the business of teaching movement. And to understand what's behind that, there's more than just the mechanical aspects we discuss in anatomy. There's also the impact, of course, on the, of the brain, on movement, on learning, memory, sensation, and more. So let me start out by saying this. Um, the guest that's coming on this episode here, whom I'm going to introduce to you in a moment, is part of my special wellness event coming up in January called the Bare Bones Yoga Urban Wellness Weekend. And if you've been listening to the prior ep- episodes where I had Jenny Schischel on and the folks from Plank Designs, you've heard uh, a little bit about this event. If this is your first time listening and you haven't heard about it, I want to tell you a little bit about it. This event is a two-day opportunity for you to to do a whole number of things all geared towards improving your wellness. There's yoga practice, meditation, learning myofascial release, which is using massage balls on your muscles to relieve stress and strain, hearing from expert speakers on different aspects of wellness, including today's guests who will guest who will be talking about neuroscience. You'll also eat healthy food, you'll hear inspiring stories from the speaker panel and a whole bunch more. It's really set up to be a life-changing event that will shift your ways of thinking in positive ways and give you real information, not fluff stuff, about how to improve your health. So this event is coming up in January. It's the perfect time to do it when people are usually motivated with a lot of good intentions for the year ahead. It's January 12th and 13th in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And to sign up, all you need to do is go to my website, which is barebonesyoga.com. It's right there on the homepage. But I want to tell you something special here. If you um, want, and um, who doesn't want to save a little bit of money, um, number one, right now I'm running early bird pricing, and that applies from today to December 15th. And also, because you're listening to my podcast, you're going to get a $25 discount 
off the registration. So you can go to the website, take a look at the invitation, get a full sense of all the goodness that's involved in the event, and then don't sign up on that link because that'll charge you the regular price or, or the early bird price. Just send me an email and say you want to get the podcast listener discount, and I'll send you a special link to pay that will include that discount. And the other thing I'm also offering is if you refer a friend, you get another $25 off. So if you know somebody who could also benefit from an attending an event like this, um, let them know to sign up and to send me an email that they are your friend, and then I'll send you that $25 Visa gift card. So you could actually get $50 off the event registration. So today we're going to cover um, an aspect of neuroscience that's really critical to personal development, and that's how to decide whether to listen to your head or your heart. And while this might not at first glance seem like a topic central to teaching, I want you to think again, and I'm going to dive into the rationale um, in a minute. So first, I want to introduce you to our guest today, who is Jen Riggs. Jennifer Riggs, who is an attorney, and she is also a certified neuroscience coach, speaker, and former lawyer who helps people shift out of what we call surviving brain to thriving brain. Her five-part framework integrates a whole bunch of different areas of expertise, neuroscience, coaching, mindfulness, and mind-body principles. Her whole person approach to change builds brain integration, resilience, leadership capacity, and well-being. She is certified by the Coaches Training Institute and is an accredited member of the International Coaches Federation. She's certified as a neurotransformational coach by the organization Be Above Leadership. She researches neuroscience, stress, and change for her own coaching program, and she also has a blog, which I'll give you the URL, and I'm going to include it in the show notes. It's jenriggs.com, R-I-G-G-S. In addition, she also has a 20-year yoga practice and over 700 hours of yoga teacher training and a mindfulness meditation practice. So... Before Jen starts, before we start kind of peppering her with questions, I want to start you off with a quick personal story. Over the summer, I got into a really big funk and I felt like much of my thinking was negative, mainly centered around my business. And I was really stuck and I couldn't find a way out. I started reading some books about negative thinking and while I found that a few of them were helpful, it just wasn't enough to shift me. And I also felt like I couldn't talk to people around me, my friends and my family, because they couldn't be objective. So kind of on a whim, I hired a neuroscience coach. Now, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but let me just say this. Nothing was more transformational for me than working with a neuroscience coach. And it was through my work with her that I learned how my stories were holding me back. And quite honestly, how some things from my upbringing had left me with some things I took as fact that were really just opinion and beliefs. And I knew that because the impact it had on me, this kind of information could be transformational for others. And that's why I have Jen Riggs joining me as part of this Urban Wellness Weekend and part of this podcast here today. Now, there are different aspects of neuroscience, and Jen's presentation at the weekend event will focus on the brain's reaction to stress. Um, Today, what we're going to discuss is a dilemma that many of us have had before. So this has to do with this idea of, have you ever felt like your head said one thing and your heart said another? 
and maybe you were stuck. You didn't know which one you should follow. And it's a tough one because whatever you decide, it seems as either your rational thoughts or your feelings are going to lose out. Now, while this doesn't specifically apply to yoga teaching, if you think about it, there are many applications of this to our development as people. And this absolutely applies to teaching. Um, if you've listened to any of my earlier episodes that highlight personal growth topics, I'm a huge supporter of teachers doing personal development work in order to improve their teaching. Teaching effectively definitely comes from a deep knowledge of yourself. And if we're struggling with personal issues, it's hard for us to be effective. So I want to first take a moment here now that I've given you kind of the framework for the conversation to welcome Jen to the podcast. So hi, Jen. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks. Now, thank you for the intro sure. and the setup. Sure, there. sure. I, you know, I always like to give people a little bit of a framework, especially because I'm imagining them at the gym or walking around or driving in their car and kind of like their heads probably full. So I like to kind of set a little stage. <laughs> for the conversation uh, of the episode. So I'm here in uh, Boston slash Alston at the podcast garage and you're in Massachusetts mm -hmm. as well, right? I am, yes. So I used to be in Cambridge, but I am now on the North Shore in Manchester by the sea. Okay, great. That sounds beautiful, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So we set our listeners up with this kind of idea of head versus heart. So can you talk a little bit about what that is all about. Yes, thank you. I think that we've all had situations where we say, oh, you know, my head says this and my heart says that. And, um, and, and as you said, it ends up being like sort of a lose-lose situation, yeah. right? Either way, you feel like a part of you has to lose out. Yeah. And I think in today's culture, too, that we, with such a focus on... Um, on thinking, mm. right, and analysis and being logical, that sometimes we can feel like we're sort of, we're supposed to be cut off from the heart or the emotions of something and that we really need to be rational about it. Um, but what I have learned, and it's fascinating, is that in fact, there really are no decisions that don't involve emotions. Mm -hmm. And so that, in fact, if we, we need to sort of lose the concept of something being head versus heart. Oh, so like the either or isn't really an accurate way. Yeah, because the brain is always trying to, the, the brain has essentially two goals. One, to get us closer to pleasure or two, get us farther away from pain. Hmm. And if the brain says, believes that to choose one way, part of it is going to win, to choose another way, um, or, or that either way, either choice, part of it is going to lose, part of oneself is going to lose out, mm -hmm. whether it's the, the logical part or the emotions part, um, it's very hard to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to think of, can you give us some scenarios that might illustrate this? So, well, um, let me describe first what is, what, uh, what I mean by both being involved in the decision. Okay. Does that, because I can give people like a little bit of a background sure. with, in terms of the brain. Um, so when we're making decisions, 
the um, the part of the brain that's that's responsible for executive functioning is called the prefrontal cortex. Okay. And um, then the part of the brain, and that's an outer layer of the brain. It's sort of behind the forehead. Mm-hmm. The part of the brain that's often called the emotional brain um, is called the limbic area of the brain. That's an older part of the brain in terms of evolution. Mm-hmm. And within the limbic area is a part called the amygdala, which is responsible for fight, flight, freeze uh, responses. Um, but both of those um, end up coming into play when the brain is trying to predict um, what is going to get us closer to pleasure or further from pain. So it's you're saying um, actually, both meaning the prefrontal and the limbic. And the limbic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes actually the limbic can take over mm. um, and, and will make a decision um, that doesn't make rational sense <laughs> um, because we might be upset at someone mm. and we'll make a decision even though it might not benefit us. So, for, for example, there was a study at uh, the University of Arizona where people's brains were scanned while they were being asked to sort of play a game about decisions. Mm-hmm. And player A held $10. And then player B's role was to either accept or reject whatever of that $10 was offered to him or her by player A. Mm-hmm. But p- player A got to keep whatever um, whatever was left over after player B took his or her money. Mm-hmm. But player B had the... Um, authority to say no, in which case no one got any money. Hmm. So what happened was, you know, if player A offered player B $5, you know, if you were player B, would you take that? Sure. Sure. Okay. What if you were offered $1, which meant that player A was keeping nine? Would you take that? Um, I, probably not, because I wouldn't want them to have $9, I guess. Yeah, because that doesn't seem fair. Right, right. right. And so what, the, so, um, what the researchers found was that as the offers got lower, people were more likely to reject the right. offer, even though it didn't make sense, because a dollar... It's still a dollar. Better, it's still a dollar. Right, yeah. <laughs> and while, while their brains were being scanned, as the offers got lower, a part of the brain called the anterior insula, uh-huh. but it's in that limbic part of the brain that I talked about uh-huh. um, that is involved when uh, we're registering anger and disgust. Uh-huh. And that that became much more active when the uh, offers were rejected and when the offers got lower. Huh. So all but the emotions that had to do with like judging the person A. Yeah, kind of. just, yeah, being sort of upset or offended. Right. Right. Hmm. Um, but but the prefrontal cortex was also involved, too, because it was trying to sort of um, make sense hmm. of it all, trying to assess the situation. So there's kind of a struggle hmm. the, um, between the cognitive, rational prefrontal cortex and the um, the limbic response. Yeah, I just was thinking of another example. I don't know if this qualifies, but let's say 
you go shopping and you see a really expensive pair of shoes and you really, really <laughs> want those shoes, but you know in your rational mind you don't have the money for them. Is that a similar battle between the two? Yeah, I think that is a good example. Yeah. Yeah. The, the limbic part says, oh, geez, that, that's going to get me closer to pleasure. Right. I really want that, right? right? That's going to make me feel good. And it will make you feel good in that moment, but you might go home and then the prefrontal cortex kicks in and says, what did you just do that for? Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we had talked a little bit. I was, I was trying to think of some examples that would relate to yoga teaching since a lot of the listeners, my listeners are yoga teachers. And this idea of, I think the scenario that I threw out there was if you're taking a look at a teaching opportunity and part of you wants to do it because you know it's a really popular studio and you think it can increase your exposure but the rational part the prefrontal cortex part of your brain says no because the studio owners are unwilling to pay you what you think is a fair rate is that another kind of real life example on the business side of things that might be one where you have to kind of think heart versus head um, you know, that's a really interesting example because I think that you could take that example and flip it based on that um, study we just talked about where the insula um, lit up yeah. when the offers got lower. Yeah. Right. So you might say that, you know, cognitively, um, the lower pay is is the prefrontal cortex. But in fact, it might actually be the limbic area saying like that's not there's there's an element of fairness right um right and then there could be an emotional response to that like i'm worth more than that or that doesn't seem fair right. something like that may well actually be lighting up in the limbic mm -hmm. and then the other um aspect of well this kind this could make sense for me because it would be you know i should do this for the greater exposure right I think the should is that prefrontal cortex analytical trying to, you know, weigh um, outcomes right. and, and what you should do. Right. So, yeah, um, I do think both are at play there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting, I think it can turn what your example on its head a little bit. Yep. Um, yeah. Now, in general, I mean, we're talking about head versus heart and kind mm -hmm. of these different parts of the brain. When we think about yeah. just making decisions, are these the only two parts at play? Are there other factors involved? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And let me say too that you know when we say heart, um, right, that's just sort of a term right. for what we really mean is right emotions. Emotions, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, but but we definitely call it heart. Mm -hmm. Um, those are the main areas of the brain, but honestly, neuroscience is just the tip of the iceberg in understanding our brains. Our brains are so complicated, and there's different networks. There's different layers, different parts, different networks, mm -hmm. um, and it's never really isolated in one area. Mm -hmm. There's always... Um, sort of, you know, different neural connections that are lighting up. Mm -hmm. So uh, the how our brain or what parts of the brain might be involved in a decision depends on many factors, including the decision itself. Mm -hmm. And um, but but 
that sort of leads me to what I wanted to explain to you about some really interesting yeah, research for sure. that I think that I think is relevant to yoga teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to yoga because it involves uh, a connection to the body, mm-hmm. the brain body, yep. and our somatic experience. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to start with a really interesting example from, there's a a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio, and he heads a a clinic at UCLA, um, Brain and Creativity Institute with, um, no, I'm sorry, USC, University of Southern California with his wife, um, Hannah Damasio. And they, he had a, a, a client back in the 80s who was like a really smart and successful businessman. Mm-hmm. And then he had to have brain surgery to have a tumor removed near his amygdala. Uh-huh. Again, that part right. that's the fight, flight, freeze in the limbic part of the brain. And what happened after that surgery? Well, people expected his emotional capacities and motivation to, to decline. Um, and they did, but what was unexpected was after that surgery, this, um, he, the pseudonym he's given is Elliot. Um, Elliot couldn't make decisions, even the most mundane decisions like where to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. And that was surprising. And as he looked into it, Further, what he realized was that Elliot, so yes, he could logically talk about all of the reasons that one should go to restaurant A over restaurant B, mm-hmm. but it, like, it might take him a half an hour. Mm-hmm. What he lost was the capacity to filter out um, the, or to sort of, for, for the brain to predict um, how we would, how he would feel at restaurant A versus restaurant B ah. versus restaurant C. So um, he lost kind of so the emotional lo- component to the picture of doing the thing. Yeah. Huh. Yes. And so, so what our brain does when it makes decisions is it tries to quickly kind of decide how my again which is going to bring me closer to pleasure which is going to make me feel better mm-hmm. um and he lost that the ability to do that because he lost the emotional capacity so everything was trying to be resolved in the prefrontal cortex but it was long and laborious so it's kind of um, like if you just approach things with only your logic glasses on you're missing out on a lot of other factors, which, which I think kind of makes sense, but I think sometimes we maybe force ourselves to just look at things logically. Yes. And, and I would say, I would argue, and I think um, that some researchers would also argue that actually you can't be a hundred percent logical unless you're someone like Elliot who's had the limbic area of the brain um, damn it. Right, right. Almost some clinical condition that shuts that part yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Because, right, because the limbic brain is always working. But so here's the part that connects to the body. Yeah. Um, what Damasio found, and this is confirmed um, in more recent research by someone um, here in Boston at Northeastern University, Lisa um, 
Feldman Barrett. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made. Mm -hmm. That what happens is there's a part of the brain that constantly is receiving messages from the body. And like, so, um, you know, is is the heart racing? Um, Is the breath shallow? Are are palms sweaty? Mm -hmm. And from those somatic experiences, the brain then um, takes that and tries to make sense of that of that to create an emotion. So we'll connect to something called um, neural prior neural maps, or Lisa Feldman Barrett calls them um, concepts. Mm-hmm. So we connect them to prior experiences or beliefs mm-hmm. to say. Um, you know, this is a good emotion, like this is excitement or this is fear. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. So you could have a five-year-old walking down the street with his mother, and there's a dog that they don't know in the neighborhood that's running towards them. Mm-hmm. And their brains register a faster heartbeat, um, shallow breathing, maybe um maybe some some sweaty palms or something. And so in the five-year-old who doesn't have a prior experience of a dog running towards him, that might be excitement. Mm-hmm. And so that's the emotion that's created. In the mother, there may be a connection to prior experiences of dogs running towards her um, ending poorly. Mm-hmm. And then so the emotion that is interpreted when connected to prior experience, her prior experiences is fear. Right. So you could have the same set of circumstances that two people would create different emotions out of. Right. Right. I mean, it kind of has me thinking, I see exactly what you're saying there. And I know in some spiritual writings that I've read, there are these ideas of not shadow people, but just this idea of like we have these prior experiences that shape the way we make decisions and the way we see the world. And it kind of Mm -hmm. sort of relates to when I was talking before about my own work over the summer with a neuroscience coach and how I had to give up a lot of these old stories that were beliefs that I had that I took as fact, which, you know, kind of relates a little bit in a way to you have a past experience and then it converts in your brain to like, oh, this is always going to be like this. Um, so how do you, as a person shift your way of thinking, let's say in the case of the mother around dogs Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. anything, a teacher around fear, stepping into the classroom or a yoga student with concern around being able to practice yoga comfortably type of thing? Yes. Really good question. And as we know, first of all, let's just make sure everyone understands, we, our brains have neuroplasticity, ah. which means that they can create new neural pathways at love it. any age. Love it. I love that. I love so that. we are not stuck with the old Thank God, right? experiences, beliefs. Exactly, right? And does that we matter with age? Um, so our brains do not... Um, create new neural pathways as easily okay. as we age, but we never lose the capacity. So they used to believe that when we got to a certain age as an adult, that that was it, our brains were static. And we know for sure now that is not true. That's right. So we can shift, we can make new stories, we can shift our focus 
an attention. And in doing that, we actually literally create new neural pathways. Wow. So that's amazing. Yes. And what we can do with this knowledge about emotions and um, decisions, what what Damasio suggests, and it makes a lot of sense, and I think it applies with Feldman Barrett as well. What we, if we can increase our somatic experience, our our awareness of what's happening in our body, and then also increasing our um, our labeling of our emotions and our so we so we create greater clarity for the brain to um, to connect to in the future. So rather than saying oh, I feel blah or that just kind of felt blah, no, what did blah mean? Right? Did blah mean you were sad, you were depressed, you were tired? So you're saying right? like define and, it more. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so getting clear on your emotions and also checking in with the somatic experience. That's, that's so interesting that you say that because recently, you know, I think as a yoga teacher, we sometimes can shift our focus and our way of expressing our teaching. And recently I've been just positing these questions to the students in class throughout the practice just around things like check in with how you're feeling right now notice Mm -hmm. this um if you had to describe how you're feeling in this moment just something that i and i it's always so curious Mm -hmm. because you never can hear back from them because of course they're not saying anything in your teaching right but i've started to think more about how easy it is to just move and move and move and move and move and not make that connection between what you're doing and how it can affect how you feel even on a physical level is this related to what you're talking about yes i love that you're doing that karen because actually just asking the question of the students is shifting their focus and attention huh and um the word for what i'm talking about with like uh, is called emotional granularity like really so defining, clarifying what it is that you're feeling with your emotions. But I think you can do it with your physical sensations as well, huh. right? What is it that I'm feeling here, right? And, and you know, we always say in yoga to listen to your body, right? And, and as, as we practice more, we get a better understanding of sort of what's a good stretch and what's a bad, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that too helps to build our, you know, the somatic experience and um, that we can draw upon uh, in, for, for our decisions Mm -hmm. in the future. And then, and then finally, I do want to say that also, you know, involved in this, sometimes we do have to check our biases, Mm. right? Mm. So you said, for example, like, how would that mother Ah, change her? Right. Right. Mm. Um, So yes, we can change it. Um, and I would say, you know, increase the somatic awareness and the, you know, the understanding of the emotion and use the prefrontal cortex to take in current facts to make sure that your prior, um, neural mapping isn't faulty yeah, that's or doesn't a, not apply yeah, to this situation. That's exactly, I was thinking faulty and you said, and it's interesting because I did, I was listening to another podcast and the person was talking about 
beliefs versus facts, which sounds similar to what you're talking about. And I think too, again, about being a newer yoga teacher and standing in front of the class and being really nervous and thinking people are judging you and that whole kind of mental, mm -hmm. dysfunctional mental cycle you can get into that seems yeah. really real and mm -hmm. how you can get out of that even if maybe you have had a bad experience, maybe there's been some feedback from a senior yeah. colleague or even students and yeah. that, you know, there's that mother with the dog. Well, but I had a bad experience where a dog bit me once, right? And so it sounds like what you're saying is you have to kind of use the rational side to really push yourself to say, yeah, but does that mean every single time it will happen? Yeah. Yeah, and it's not to discount. It's not to say, oh, because that happened, but rather, so in the, the example of the dog, um, well, is this dog wagging its right. tail or growling <laughs> or showing its teeth? You right. know, and start sort of like getting a little more curious. Right. And same with um, the yoga teacher, too. Well, um, just, you know, it's about grounding in the present moment. Right. And that can start as a yoga teacher getting, you know, let's remember, you know, where I am right now in my body. Right. Mm -hmm. And taking in the current cues mm -hmm. in your class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I know, I mean, even now after 15 years of teaching, I definitely still get times when I go into my head and the first thing I say to myself as I feel that happening whether it's the sweaty palms whatever you describe is just I just say to myself come into my feet come into my feet like feel yeah. my feet on the ground so is that the somatic experience that you're describing helping you shift from that amygdala kind of limbic brain reaction to something a little more prefrontal cortex um, well, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. To me, it's using the somatic experience to get you out of um, what would the, the old story, which um, without getting into it, would be like the default mode network. Got it. And when you're in the default mode network, it's this sort of internal processing mm -hmm. in your, and, and the, you know, the, the thought loops and you're not in the present moment and taking in external information. Got it. So what you're doing is you're using the somatic experience to get you out of that and into the ah, present moment. I love that. And that again. And into a different part right. um, of, of the prefrontal cortex. Right. Process. And that's so great because I, I, and is that process, right? What you just described, like breaking the one loop and building another loop of feedback to get you out of this negative thought process is that in and of itself if you do that regularly neuroplasticity like building new brain patterns around scenarios that then as you move forward if you repeat that you'll build kind of more positive thought processes yes exactly okay. exactly and you because you'll never you never lose or totally erase old neural patterns mm -hmm. okay they'll always be there but with that practice, time and again, going back yeah. into, you know, the breaking of it and into the present awareness. Yes, absolutely. You're building new neural pathways. And till, till then that becomes the automatic. Right. Or you can do it faster. You can get out of that old loop faster. Right. Yeah, I see. 
I see this as being one of the most helpful, like takeaway nuggets of of knowledge from someone like yourself with your background and all the work you do for lay people like me who don't have the extensive knowledge that you have around neuroscience. You know, it's just that knowledge that if you keep coaching yourself, if you get a technique and you keep coaching yourself through the technique, it becomes easier over time to avoid getting into those negative thought patterns. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's yes. good to know. That's what's so cool about it, right? Like you you can do it yourself. Yeah. You all you you can you always have that within your control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's let's go back to kind of where we started. So we talked about you know, well, I said heart versus head, but again, you made the distinction between that and really describing it as emotion versus logic. Mm -hmm. Is that more a, a way to characterize yeah. it? Well, I just think because we're talking about the right, brain, it's not heart. Right? It's not really like brain versus <laughs> yeah, heart because emotions yeah. it's all in the brain, right? Are all in the brain, right? Exactly. Um, but let's say too. It's not, it's all in the brain and the body, mm -hmm. right? Because the brain is constantly getting messages from the body. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we had to, if you had to kind of, and I know we've talked about a, about a lot of these things in our conversation here, but if you had to kind of give somebody just a couple of quick tips for improving decision-making abilities, what are a couple mm. things that you might say? So the first one would be forget about head versus heart. Okay. So it, it's really thinking about yourself as as a working yeah. instrument with all yeah. parts. Yeah, love that. All parts come into play. Yes, yes. All parts yeah. to be aware of and assessed together. Yeah together it's not one over the other yeah that's great and I just want to stop you right there because this was one of the yeah. things that came up in my work with the coach is that I saw I always saw things as this or that and she would mm -hmm. be like well what about this and this and this I'd be like huh so I think and I am a very logical person so I would pride myself on like well I can break it down into a or b and that was I never realized how much that was cutting me off from all these different possibilities that were out there. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's really. I love that you say that possibilities because that's part of my framework is like when you step into awareness, the awareness creates possibilities. Yeah. And I think that's. And so yeah. it's awareness of everything. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. So I love that you started out by saying that, like, don't think of it even in that paradigmic paradigm framework of this versus that even just that word like even our languaging when I would talk to her I would use words like battle and verses and she would call me on and be like why are you saying battle to describe this mm. and it would be in regards to my own emotions and so it really mm. until she reflected back to me how I was saying things, I wasn't realizing that even the verbiage I was using was illustrating how much inner turmoil there was. And so, and again, I only bring this up not to make this about me, but to really share my experience because I would bet that there are other people out there 
that use terminology like this when referring to themselves that think of mm -hmm. things as black or white a or b with not a lot mm -hmm. of options in between and it could be about your teaching mm -hmm. it could be about teaching opportunities oh i'll never be able to teach there because no one blah 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 blah, blah or all those things well what about this mm -hmm. what about that yeah yes yes love yeah. it love it okay so that's number one so number one is don't think of it as either or think of it more holistically yeah um and and then so it's assessing you know the the emotion labeling is really important mm -hmm. right that emotional granularity and that's similar to what you were just saying about words that we use mm. are important the words are part of what creates clarity for the brain. The brain wants clarity. It wants to, it can't make a decision until it's clear on what it's working with. Right. Got it. It needs to make sense of things. How we want to help the brain make sense of things by, you know, allowing the experience of the body, understanding it and, and defining mm -hmm. it, like clarifying mm -hmm. what is the emotion here. Mm -hmm. And then, and, then lastly, taking in um, the current circumstances as well. Got it. Got it. All right. So let me just, before we wrap up, just because something you just said just triggered a connection to teaching again. And I always, even though some of what I talk about on the podcast is broader, I like to, if there are chances to pull into teaching. So when you were just saying the words that we use informs the brain in a way and helps the brain kind of understand, well, is this a fight or flight situation or, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. So let's take the... And it creates that neural mapping that we talked right. about. Right. So let's take yeah. the situation of like new yoga students coming into an experience where they don't have yoga experience at all and they're really fearful, but they're there because they somehow believe that this is really something that can help them. Mm -hmm. Are the words that the teacher's using important to helping them shape their experience in those first few classes around, oh yeah, I was exactly right. This is going to be really, really hard versus, wow, this is actually not as hard as I thought I can do this. Like, is there something, especially for teachers who teach beginners only, or just kind of to be aware of in general, is our word choice as teachers, I mean, of course, I know words are only part of it, right? It's what are we offering? Mm -hmm. What poses are we suggesting? How is the room? There's all the other factors. But I don't know. I was just wondering, since you brought up word choice. Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, similar to your question earlier about how, you know, or, or you're sharing that you will ask students questions in a class about to, to, you know what are they feeling and where and so sim that is that and your the word choices that they are hearing um is is creating a neural connection in their brain interesting they have certain understanding of of, of words right you know so if you are saying okay this is a hard pose <laughs> that's gonna oh, joe be careful of this pose right um, then wow. uh, they're going to automatically, what's the neural map of that? Well, be careful. And they're going to kind of freeze up a right, little bit. Right, That's so interesting because it, yeah. it definitely, you know, God, it definitely makes me think about, you know, even going into a room and saying, you know, is anybody injured? Is anybody hurt? Right. And just, mm -hmm. you know, there's mm -hmm. that side of, well, I'm being compassionate. I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I want yeah. to be helpful. 
right? But then is there a different scenario where I can, as a teacher, get that information without broadcasting it in a way that now everybody is starting to think, oh, what are my... I don't know. It that's I never thought of that. But even yeah, aside from that scenario. That's a good question. Yeah, what you that's just a good question. Yeah, what you just said. Oh, I know this is hard. Oh, this is I mean, I know over the years I might have said something like, This is my least favorite pose or you know, right. whatever. Which, you know, hey, we're human, we say things. Exactly. But I think exactly. it's and that's okay. Right. <laughs> I think it's certainly interesting to think about how the words we use can can kind of call call to the surface in our students different patterns of thinking where the association might not be positive mm-hmm. right and it's not like we're mm-hmm. there to say oh you're doing great all the time everybody's great 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 because that becomes annoying too because it loses its effectiveness <laughs> because now everything's great and awesome and you're awesome <laughs> so it it is very interesting and then of course you have a bunch of people in the room and everybody's neural pathways are different right right hmm. yep very interesting. Um, all right. Well, I feel like we could kind of go on and on, but you know, I I know I do. I actually, and I know, you know, for the listeners, um, Jen and I have had a couple of calls prior to this call where we have spent time just kind of hobnobbing back and forth. So I, I definitely um, know that there is a lot of content here, and of course, I don't want to completely dive into it too too much because I want all of you listeners, if you can get to Boston, if you live in Boston, um, to come to the wellness event, so the Urban Wellness Weekend. So, Jen. Yes, and um, what, oh, sorry, my my kids just walked. That's all right. Door. Hey, you um, know, life happens. So, um, and I will be talking about those same areas of the brain too, the prefrontal cortex yep. and the uh, limbic. Awesome. That's awesome. I yeah. mean, and that's going to be really helpful for the folks at the event. So a few things before we wrap up. Um, we definitely want to hear from you. If you have questions for Jen, comments about the podcast, just comment on my website where you're catching this podcast. If you're listening to it on iTunes, you can leave a comment there as well. You can always just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. And remember, you can meet uh, Jen and ask her questions live and in person at the Bare Bones Yoga Urban Wellness Weekend. You can get to that invite and read all about it on my website barebonesyoga.com and you'll get a $25 discount just for being a podcast listener and to get that all you need to do is don't sign up on that event page just send me an email that you checked it out you heard the podcast you definitely want to join us and I'll send you a special link to pay and it'll be $25 off so Jen, thank you so, so much. This was really informative. I'm like, my brain is on fire right now. (laughs) Every time I talk to you, it's like I, you know, I just am just fueled with all this new information. And I feel like a better owner of my brain for listening. So I can't wait for a couple of weeks when we're live and in person. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I will see you in a couple of weeks at the Urban Wellness Weekend. Okay, great. All right. Take care. Take care. Have a great right. night. Have a great night. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.